Travellers, welcome to the 15th, yes, count them, edition of You Should Have Been There, with me, Simon Calder, and me, Mick Webb. Today, we are talking about armchair travel, which is, uh, I have to say, these difficult days, a favourite topic, but we're, I hope, going to uh, tackle it in a different way, uh, not least because um, we are in our respective armchairs, some distance apart, a lot more than two metres due to uh, the uh, um, inappropriateness of um, of cycling to, to meet one another. Mick, can you tell me about your armchair? I can, actually. It was given to me by Italian neighbours who were upgrading their furniture and gave me this rather large um, armchair, which is a kind of white colour, but with some quite fetching red and green stripes on it, which those of you who know the colours of the Italian flag will realise that that's uh, quite as it should be. And uh, very comfortable it is as well. Well, I, I'm I'm sitting in um, what we fetchingly call Margaret's chair. Um, There's a woman I've only met once. Um, uh, she came to the, the house. Um, a friend of my mother-in-law, who who is um, doing very well, by the way. Um, the, these difficult days, and um, uh, Margaret wasn't wasn't well, but um, she was coming for Sunday lunch, I think. And we realised that we needed to have a sort of proper, substantial chair for her to to sit down upon or in um, and I uh, set off and found uh, on, on um, uh, the Walworth Road in uh, in South London a chair in a charity shop it cost £15 I cycled home with it um, she indeed enjoyed the chair very sadly it was one of the last chairs she enjoyed because within a week she was no longer with us but the chair definitely is and every time um, I sit on it I think this is Margaret's chair well, that's a very nice story, and it introduces what I think is um, my first contribution to um, ways of, I suppose, kind of amusing yourself, but also keeping in touch with travel while being confined to one's home. By the way, can I just say, uh, with one of my usual red herrings, that last week in the news, uh, there was some quite spectacular and rather touching film footage and reports of the Nightingale Hospital, the first one of the group which was being set up in uh, East London uh, at the Excel Centre. And it occurred to me that only a few months ago, you and I were there uh, at the uh, World Travel Market, when at the time the Excel Centre was a microcosm of the world with all these stands promoting different uh, destinations. Of course. course. Of course, of course. Uh, and indeed, we were um, playing crazy golf at something that was pretending to be the United Arab Emirates um, at a place which is uh, now uh, an intensive care bed. How times have changed. They have. How travel will change. And that's uh, maybe something that we will explore when we are continuing to explore the world in the way, I guess, that uh, through history, most people have explored it, which is um, uh, the accounts of other people. And um, I, uh, I I wonder how far we reach back for the accounts of other people when many, many, the, the vast majority, let's, let's say 99.999% of the population was confined to within their locality. So um, 
I'm I'm thinking right now of um, uh, good old Thomas Cook who started things off, but um, you might want to go back before then. Well, yes, I would actually propose this as possibly the most appropriate book uh, for these troubled times. Um, uh, And it is enjoyable uh, in a mad kind of way, and it is at times extremely funny. The book in question is called Voyage autour de ma chambre, but the English translation is Journey Round My Room. Um, And uh, it was written in the late 18th century by a French aristocrat called Xavier de Mestre. Uh, who was he? He doesn't sound much like a Marco Polo or indeed a um, uh, Michael Palin. Uh, no, he was quite a young man who I think had um, fled France uh, to avoid the, uh, Madame la Guillotine because he was oh. uh, quite posh. And he had fetched up in Turin and there he got into trouble with the uh, authorities for dueling, which was uh, illegal. And he was confined to his house, placed under house arrest for 42 days. Uh, and he has written this book, uh, Journey Around My Room, in which there are 42 short chapters as a sort of diary of what it is that he's doing during that time. But mainly it's vaguely philosophical ramble, all sorts of diverting um, things and descriptions of all the things in his room, um, which includes his armchair, which he sometimes describes as a um, a post chaise was uh, a sort of um, kind of stage a coach a coach uh, uh, which he travels around his room on his room is reasonably large uh, and at one point has a rather entertaining accident when the chair tips up uh, as i think happened quite often with these post sheds and he bangs his head and could i just read you a snatch of it uh, it is available free actually online from a rather splendid site called the Gutenberg um, Institute. This is from the introduction to his book. Uh, Bearing in mind it's called uh, Journeys Round My Room. I could start to sing the praises of my journey by saying that it cost me nothing and this fact deserves deserves to be pointed out. It means that it will be straight away lauded and fated by those of middling wealth. And there is another class of men with whom it will be even more popular. For this same reason that it costs nothing. And who can they be? Ah, you mean you have to ask? Rich people, of course. Furthermore, what a grand resource this way of travelling will be for the sick. They won't need to fear the inclemency of the air and the seasons. And as for the cowardly, they will be safe from robbers. They will encounter neither precipices nor quagmires. Thousands of people who before I came along had never dared to travel, and others who hadn't been able to, and yet others who'd never even dreamt of travelling, will be emboldened to do so by my example. What do you think? That is a great example of making the most of reduced circumstances, which we are all in, and also very cheerfully uh, addressed. It sounds much more modern than, than, than it is. I agree, actually. It it has a sort of sense of the absurd and ironic take on things, which I think we tend to think of as being uh, modern, but quite clearly um, isn't. 
I've been doing some reading as well, but the the, the reading I've been doing is um, very different. It's um, uh, we're all looking back, I think, aren't we, at the moment, at, at where we have been and why we went there and what we did. Um, and uh, I know that we're going to have a bit of a competition very shortly about uh, about trips that um, we've been on, uh, trips that we've shared. But I've been um, just. Uh, going through uh, some of the guidebooks which um, I have been lucky enough to be uh, uh, to have written um, and I'm actually going back all of um, here we are 40 years to 1980 and Europe a manual for hitchhikers um, this is uh, um, it uh, <laughs> here we are. this is a predating social media um, I, I like this um, idea for uh, France which is I would say notoriously bad um, for hitching um, uh, just to the entrance of Calais. Uh, this is easy, Calais. This is easily the least promising of all channel ports from which to hitch. The only way to escape from the hover port is by hitching unless you arrange a lift on the way over. And on the subject of arranging lifts, um, here we are. This is... Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, reaching back a bit, you could have your request for a lift broadcast on Radio Tele Luxembourg, 236 metres medium wave, by dialing Paris 720 between 9 and noon from Monday to Saturday and talking to Max Meignier, the president the presenter of the programme Les Routiers Sans Sampas. Uh, the lorry drivers are are kind. You may see bumper stickers advertising this program, which has a wide following among lorry drivers and other long distance travellers. I must say, I never dialed that number. I never talked to Max, and um, I'm still figuratively waiting at a an auto route junction somewhere outside Lyon. <laughs> that is absolutely brilliant. Do you think that um, when this period is over, that there might be a return to hitchhiking, although possibly organised via more flexible and rapid modern media? A, a really good question. I've been talking to um, various people about how travel will change, how it will look. Most recently, actually, the president of the AA, the excellent Edmund King. There is no doubt currently our environment is better, our air quality is better because a lot of transport's been reduced. Now obviously that will not last forever and people will go back on the roads and on the trains but I think we can just manage it somewhat more coherently to benefit us all. He is of the mind that we will travel uh, less. He's talking more about commuting but most certainly uh, one of his thoughts is that two car families may well become one car family um you've always been a one car family we've always been a zero car family uh and part of that could actually be encouraging lift sharing the idea that that we are somehow more connected than we thought that um uh, we rely on each other rather than regarding um, regarding each other with a certain certain suspicion. Um, and I'm, I'm going to reach back again, I'm afraid, for my Hitchhiker's Manual. Um, yeah, this is a section on Germany because they did have um, a very good system of, um, of, of lift sharing. Yeah, there is a nationwide chain of lift matching agencies trading under the name of Mitfahrzentrale. 
The best plan is to call them a few days before you plan to travel. If they have a suitable lift, go to the office, pay your insurance premium and thus book your ride. And uh, various locations um, in Dusseldorf, Essen, Frankfurt, Hamburg, Köln, Cologne, uh, Munich and Stuttgart. And you would um, pay a few pfennigs per kilometre uh, for the lift. And that came and went rather. Um, and there must be a solution, but nobody even when you are sorting out people working for the same company going from uh, the same towns to the same office it never quite seems to work lift sharing i'd love some ideas on how it's going to i would love to think that we would all become much more uh, connected but um i'm not seeing it so far let's hope that that one is, is one of the aspects what you said there reminds me of something we were discussing in our last podcast about how travel might look after the uh, pandemic. And you said that actually you thought that quite a lot of people would in fact be seriously discouraged from travelling, whereas others would be champing at the bit to get away, go to places, see things, have adventures. And this chimes with a quote, um, and it actually comes from a novel which I have read called Decline and Fall by Evelyn Waugh, which is, I've got to say, extremely funny. Um, And uh, it, it has a protagonist called Paul Pennyfeather, who muses uh, in the following way. Instead of this absurd division into sexes, they ought to class people as static and dynamic. There's a real distinction there, though I can't tell you how it comes. I think we're probably two quite different species, spiritually. I think that's a beautiful concept, um, and I fear that there may be people migrating figuratively from dynamic to static they might be settling down in their armchairs never to re-emerge should should we try this um uh, game that you came up with which i um, applaud the the thought of which is um a a journey um quite quite a significant uh, journey achievable in one day and and how we uh, uh recall this because of course when you are going back and traveling um in your mind so much is is different you forget all the um striking um greek air traffic controllers you forget the uh, the mosquitoes everything um uh, kind of blends into this uh, uh impossibly um lovely uh, trouble-free picture I, I must say this was quite a formative journey even though we were not if I recall quite in the first flush of youth but um, uh, do you want to set it up? The journey in question was uh, what is generally thought to be the first real stage of the uh, the famous pilgrimage the Camino de Santiago and um, real pilgrims tend to start from a delightful small French town um, in right underneath the Pyrenees called uh, Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port. And Pied-de-Port means, if I'm not mistaken, and I defer to a great linguist like you, Mick, um, the, the foot of the pass, effectively. Um, this, is, this is where you begin the journey across the Pyrenees. Absolutely perfect. Super. Well, anyway, we did this journey. Um, now, the first problem was I couldn't remember what year it was, but I think it was it was sort of around 2003-ish, I think. 
Uh, and I think we did it in May. Uh, and it's important that it was at a time when the winter had apparently finished or should have done, but hadn't really. Uh, we stayed in a hotel whose name I do not recollect at all. And then overnight it snowed bucket loads of it uh, a proper late snowfall so the next morning somehow we ascertained that it was actually quite dangerous to go over the high pass um, because of the snow uh, and were strongly advised to go the boring route along the road uh, which was obviously at a much lower uh, altitude um, and in fact we decided that it wasn't that bad at all and uh, so we took the high route which became increasingly difficult and obviously uh, dangerous and weirdly at some point just before the snow became really quite deep we met a real pilgrim who was a Spanish guy from Galicia which is actually where Santiago de Compostela is so he was in a way walking home and uh, I can just recollect what a perfect pilgrim he was he was very striking looking and incredibly um, well equipped with a very long and hefty stick which came in incredibly useful anyway he accompanied us um, on the route down to Roncesvalles which took us all day he used his amazing pole <laughs> to uh, suss out where snowdrifts were and I actually think that if we hadn't met him we might well have fallen into one because it was impossible obviously to see where the path went because it was three feet down in the snow at some point um, and then uh, miraculously we got through the pass uh, and then um, went down into Roncesvalles where we sat outside the incredible monastery where the pilgrims stay and where we weren't allowed in because we weren't bona fide pilgrims but we sat out in the freezing cold in the square and he shared his lunch with us which was extremely nice and then we said farewell he was a man of few words uh, and uh, then we hitchhiked back uh, that, that's how I recall it well first of all this is a really really significant journey because you are traversing one of the great European mountain ranges um, you are uh, going from a, a, a kind of fairly northern um, European country into into what is indisputably the south you are changing languages obviously and the the symbolism of, of going from a place where they've actually got a pilgrimage office in Saint-Jean-Pierre-de-Port and where they where they will kind of almost pat you on the back if you're if if you are a proper pilgrim as opposed to us um, us one day chances and uh, it it is a, a a solemn undertaking and i agree with you um on most of your your narrative i just i think deviate as we sadly did many times um on whether we would have survived without our friend and his mighty pole um I think we might have done, but we would have had a much worse time. There were uh, uh, at the at the summit, which I'm going to say was about three thousand feet, one thousand meters. Um, people can heckle, of course. Uh, I, there, there was there was deep snow, but um, it did not threaten to consume us. And I think there was always a way across that we would have found. However, the one 
burning memory I have is um, the most um, impertinent uh, hitchhiking incident I think I have ever been party to. Um, if you recall, we there we were, Rances Valiers, a, um, where, where there is a road, and um, we we were standing there, the two of us, looking um, cold, not 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 hungry, luckily, thanks to our good friend, and a car stopped, which I had hitched. I, th- I think you were attending to your socks or your backpack at the time, as you mostly were. So this car stopped. Um, uh, I talked to him in bad Spanish or bad French, I can't remember, and um, oh, clearly he had only room for one person, and you promptly got in. <laughs> um, and I, I met you later that evening enjoying a beer. Um, <laughs> so uh, that that was quite surprising. Actual actual theft of, of, of properly hitched lift, I thought was, um, uh, yes, uh, uh, um Yes, there we are. Isn't it funny how how memories uh, shape us and and um, we shape memories? <laughs> I, I can only apologise. I don't really remember it like that at all. Obviously, I do remember actually being back in Saint Jean Pied de Port before you and having um, bought a beer for you, uh, which was waiting on the table where you eventually <laughs> arrived, bedraggled and extremely cold. Uh, I think probably as darkness was um, was descending yes uh, how funny that i've managed to forget that thing um what can i do to make up for it um uh, i tell you what i'll edit this podcast i think that uh, is probably enough of a, don't you think of a recompense i think that sounds a very good idea but before you do that can we trade some good travel thoughts um from films from from poems from from songs Where, would you like to begin no do you know what i would like to do one thing first which is i would like to just very quickly fill in just a couple of details of our trip because I remembered that in fact in a very famous book we wrote together called Backpacks, Boots and Baguettes in which we actually um, each wrote half of the chapters. Uh, I wrote the one on the passes of the Basque country and so I wrote about this um, and there's lots of really interesting details in it. First of all it says when we left Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port, after a few minutes we reached a crossroads and it was time to take the big decision we'd postponed the day before. A large sign pointed out the options in a no-nonsense and geometrical fashion. There were two arrows at 90 degrees to one another labelled Route 1 and Route 2. In case of bad weather, take Route 2, it advised in several languages. As the weather could conceivably have been worse, we opted for Route 1. For the first couple of kilometres of the walk, there's no shortage of information. Not just signs, but quite lavish information panels. One of them shows a stylized panorama over Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port and the surrounding mountains, with an accompanying quotation from the 12th century guidebook that is presumed to be the first such book ever written. It's a attributed to a certain uh, Emery Picot. And this is what Emery had to say. Uh, well, this is a translation, rather, of what Emery had to say. In the Basque country, the way of St. James, the Camino de Santiago, crosses a remarkable mountain called the Port de Cies. To surmount it, you have eight miles to climb and the same number again to descend. In fact, this mountain is so high that those who have made the ascent can touch the sky with their hands. 
Isn't that wonderful? Um, uh, we met several other people on the way, and our pilgrim, our saviour, as I would like to call it, was actually called Felix. Felix, um, Fe or Felix, anyway, Felix. Um, and um, funnily enough, um, despite this very uh, detailed record of the journey, there's not, no mention of the fact that I stole your lift at the end of it. <laughs> There we go. That's one way of passing the time, particularly if you're locked in a house with friends and or family, um, which is to um, play a game in which you um, make a quick note of travel experiences that you had together um, with the high points and low points, um, and then um, and then compare notes and see and see how much of it uh, you agree on. A good idea. And even if you travelled alone, I think, Mick, it's still worth writing up those travel experiences. You've got photos, those curled, faded pictures of you um, in another time. Um, of course, L.P. Hartley famously said, um, the past is another country. They do things differently there. And I think you've even come up with a, a, a way of experiencing your last trip in a rather modern way yes yes that's, that's absolutely true um i was regretfully um putting on the back burner <laughs> quite a long way uh, to the back of the stove uh, my holiday and travel plans for this year and came upon some notes i'd made about and some and some photographs i'd taken actually of um the last actual journey uh, i made last year which was an extremely nice holiday in Croatia in the Croatian islands uh, and I thought it would be quite interesting to have a look at uh, the significant part of it on uh, Google Street View uh, and I managed to completely uh, recreate the journey uh, when we got off the ferry in a hired car at a tiny little port it's just a jetty really uh, on the island of Kres so which is the sort of northern um, part of, of, of Croatia. Uh, and we then drove for about an hour to an Airbnb house uh, which I had rented and which I knew very little about other than that it was called um, a tiny house with a sea view uh, and uh, apparently was in the middle of a field. And I think that at the time of doing the journey for real, um, there were so many other things to kind of worry about like uh where were we going uh god wasn't there a load of traffic because it was the beginning of the summer holiday wasn't it so hot it was absolutely appalling would the supermarkets still be open because it was a sunday and all these things were going through my head anyway so i really didn't notice the uh, the journey to uh, the little village it was a hamlet really of stevan and so i was able to completely recreate it and luckily the uh, Google Street View video that was taken was at a very similar time of day in an absolutely beautiful sunny really cloudless sky and it all brought the whole thing flooding back in a very good way including the anticipation of what is this house going to be like will it actually be nice will it be any good <laughs> and when we eventually arrived at the village um and saw the little house on google street view there, there was a field which led up to it uh in which there was a cat um a, a kind of 
brown and black, rather manky looking animal, which I swear um, turned up on our first night when we actually stayed in the place uh, in order to um, get some milk and anything else off us. So it was a very, I thought, a very um, poignant and uh, quite sort of affecting experience for me. So recreate your journeys. There we go. Uh, Sounds absolutely uh, delightful. But of course, we still dream of traveling. And for our next podcast well i'm going to i'm going to kind of trail ahead with um this this line which um, you may or may not remember the eiffel tower and the taj mahal are mine to see on clear days well it doesn't sound like the kinks um although you're very close ah it's the jam no no i give in go on put me out of my misery well who sang it There we are, that's the answer. Who sang it? The Who. I can see for miles and miles. 1967. Oh, gosh. Yes, of course, of course. Yeah, do you know, there are so many songs, and this is one of the things I thought I might try and do during this lengthy period of um, isolation or introspection or self-examination or examination of things in closer focus, whatever it is, which was to actually try and uh, investigate some of the lyrics of songs of which I only know the chorus, the first line, the intro, and all that kind of thing, and that is indeed one of them. Well, thank you very much for that. You are most welcome, and um, I'm also ahead of our next podcast, conducting a quite massive uh, Twitter poll, which um, will actually seal for once and for all the world's greatest travel icons. It's being played a little bit. Um, I was going to say like the World Cup, no, actually more like Wimbledon, sadly, um, which will no longer be with us. Um, so proper proper knockout stages until we find the world's winner there we are um so everybody um i hope your breath is baited so you've put out this call on your twitter account that's right isn't it and uh, but we will of course be examining uh considering and reflecting on the results here on you should have been there which is on um anchor dot fm if you haven't already got it on uh, apple itunes or one of the other means of uh, digital distribution so until next week from me mick webb it's cheerio and of course keep distant and keep safe and for me simon calder keep dreaming keep traveling in your mind mm-hmm.